Saint Therese of Lisieux once said, if I did not simply live from one moment to another, it would be impossible for me to be patient. But I only look at the present, I forget the past, and I take good care not to forestall the future. Welcome to the 73rd episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth, and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because practicing mindfulness and focusing on staying in the present moment is something we all have to remember to work hard at. Otherwise, anxiety will always have the upper hand. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, we wanted to discuss a new alternative dispatch program that the LAPD is rolling out. ABC7 gets us started. The new program involves sending out civilian personnel in mental health calls that are nonviolent and do not involve some types of criminal activity. This is in response to a call from the Los Angeles city and county leaders to come up with alternatives to police officers responding to these types of calls. LAPD Chief Michael Moore says with recent cuts in personnel and other resources, his department has made these adjustments. In recent weeks, the LAPD has sent out mental health professionals in nearly 100 calls. Rather than a police officer responding and then seeking the help of mental health professionals, we've been able to streamline and make that alternative service, said Moore. While the reasons behind the move may be more motivated by staffing and money, it's good news for those suffering from mental health experiences that lead to police encounters. It's well known that someone with untreated mental illness is 16 times more likely to be killed during a police encounter than those not suffering from mental illness. And that's a risk that leads to many families avoiding calling 911 in an emergency, and rightfully so. This is why it is so crucial for communities to develop alternatives to calling the police for a mental health crisis, not only so those suffering can be kept safe, but also so they can receive the support and services they need without stigma, without judgment, and most definitely without the criminal justice system getting involved. Let's hope the LAPD moving in this direction allows other communities to find the strength to follow suit. On to the next topic, mental health and substance abuse difficulties are on the rise in Colorado, prompting the community to take a harder look at how best to help. Fox 31 sets the stage. Colorado is one of the lowest ranked states for mental health, according to a survey by Mental Health America, in part because it is the state with the highest percentage of adults facing substance abuse problems. Overall, Colorado ranks 46th in the nation for mental health. Only Alaska, Oregon, Idaho, and Nevada rank worse. Colorado ranks ranks 31st in the ease of accessing mental health care near the middle of the pack. Where it really stands out is mental health prevalence. Colorado has a higher percentage of adults with substance abuse disorders than any U.S. state. Almost 12% have a problem, which is 1.5% higher than Vermont, the next closest state. This isn't the only area Colorado has one of the worst national rankings in. It's near the bottom of the pack in adult mental health, adult suicidal ideation, and youth substance abuse as well. So while this is all pretty bad news, it also presents us with an opportunity, an opportunity to take a look at our own communities and see how we can help advocate for better access to mental health care and substance abuse treatment. We can stand up, we can share our stories, we can fight for better care for our communities, and we can change these trends not only in Colorado, but in our own areas of the world. 
It all starts with educating ourselves, learning how best to help our suffering sisters and brothers, seeing them with the loving eyes of God, and being willing to get involved in their lives. I can only hope that these statistics from Colorado prompt government officials to take action, in addition to prompting all of us to find out what we can do to help as well. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey of mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm going to introduce you to St. Jerome Emiliani. Born in 1486 in Venice, Jerome's father died when he was just a teenager, and in his grief, he ran away from a home when he was 15 to join the army. Shortly after, he was appointed governor of a fortress and was taken prisoner while defending his post. He wasn't big into God, but he promised the Virgin Mary that he would make a pilgrimage in her honor if he escaped, which he did, actually leaving his chains at the shrine of Our Lady of Treviso. He returned home and helped educate his nephews, which led to him taking a deeper interest in theology. When the plague and the famine struck, he, he was seen everywhere around town helping those who were less fortunate, caring for the sick and feeding the hungry at his own expense. He ended up renting a home to take care of those in need and started the Congregation of Regular Clerics with two priests with the mission of living in poverty and helping those in poverty. He eventually contracted the plague while helping the sick and died in 1537. Jerome is an absolute holy hero and is known as the patron saint of orphans and abandoned children. And in this sad time where children are subjected to the evils of human trafficking, I think he's a saint who needs to be hearing a lot more from us as we call out for his help. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. St. Jerome Emiliani, our country is in such need of your powerful intercession before the throne of God. So many children are orphans of broken homes. Some are missing, and others have been used for evil purposes on our city streets. Even worse than this, people are killing children before they are even born. Inspire parents to adopt orphans. Help us to have your fervor for all children, especially those most in need. Finally, we ask you to transform us into children so that we may one day enter the kingdom of heaven and with you praise the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit forever. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Abby gets us started. I suffer from scrupulosity, and I recently read an article from Scrupulous Anonymous where a priest said that because of their condition, those who suffer from scrupulosity cannot commit a mortal sin because they experience a diminished moral capacity to freely choose. From a mental health scientific standpoint, uh, so we would be calling scrupulosity a form of OCD in this case, would you say that that's accurate? Well, thank you for sending this in, Abby. Let's start off by joining in prayer for Abby and everyone experiencing religious OCD that God may bring peace into their hearts this very minute. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. 
I think it's vitally important for us to separate mental health symptoms and sin, especially in situations where our mental health symptoms lead to us having experiences we don't want, experiences we aren't responsible for. And I think people need to hear this message. Automatic, intrusive thoughts are not sinful. Feeling so depressed you can't even get out of bed is not sinful. Feeling so panicked that you can't even make it to mass because of the attack of anxiety that you're having is not sinful. So I definitely understand this line of thinking. The issue that needs to be worked out is that there are potentially mortal sins that might be committed that would not have any relation to our mental health experience, in this case to the OCD symptoms and diagnosis. So while there is most likely many things that would have diminished freedom of the will because of scrupulosity, not every choice we make would fall under that category. So to say that a person suffering from religious OCD or any other mental health experience, quote, cannot commit a mortal sin seems to be going beyond the message that I was discussing earlier. I hope that distinction makes sense. Please know that we're praying for you and remember that there is hope for those of us suffering from religious OCD. Exposure and response prevention is a very effective means of approaching these symptoms and I highly recommend looking into it if you've been having a hard time living with these symptoms. Anonymous is up next. How do I forgive people who have inflicted and continue to inflict trauma on me, yet refuse to acknowledge what they've done, much less are sorry about it? I know that forgiving is not pretending that it didn't happen or giving up my pursuit of justice uh, through the law, but I don't know how to go about forgiving them while continuing to pursue justice. I know that holding resentment for so long is bad, and I really want to let it go. I know that if I don't, I might go on forever since reconciliation is extremely unlikely given the, other, given the other side refuses to even acknowledge my experience. A priest told me that forgiveness is an act of the will, not emotions. Yet every time I pray, Lord, please help me forgive, I just end up crying from a flood of negative emotions and traumatic memories. Okay, let's, let's all join together, please, in prayer for Anonymous and everyone working through the difficulty of forgiving people who have hurt us so deeply and don't even have the recourse uh, don't even have remorse, right, for what they've done, that God may give us peace and guide us in how best to move forward. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Okay, first, let's remember that forgiveness is hard really hard, especially when someone has hurt us deeply, especially when they don't feel sorry for what they've done. And while the priest may be onto something with the idea that forgiveness is an act of the will and not necessarily something that happens because of our emotions, it's also important to remember that our emotions are a part of us. And it isn't easy to make an act of the will when we're still going through things emotionally. We are an entire being. So to say something like just make a decision to forgive without recognizing the role our emotions play in being able to make that decision doesn't quite capture the human experience. And so how do we start taking steps to forgive someone who hurt us, someone who isn't sorry, for the sake of moving forward and finding healing and emotional well-being for ourselves? Let's take a look at uh, herstyleoftea.com to explore this a little bit more. The words she spoke pierced deeply into my heart. I wish you would die. You're so ugly. Why do you wear the same clothes every day? You stink. You're fat. How could I believe the truth about myself when all I heard was lies? 
I looked into the mirror and hated what I saw. I hated my hair, my nose, my lips. I despised everything that made me unique and beautiful, all because of hurtful words planted into my heart by a young girl who clearly did not define me. I cried myself to sleep most nights and wondered why God didn't make me beautiful. This all happened around the same time I started to really take my faith seriously. I knew that forgiveness was important. Honestly, I wanted to forgive and move on, but it was so hard. I said a prayer before bed each night trying to forgive, but the next day I'd walk into the classroom and see her hateful eyes once more. How can I forgive when the offender is not sorry and continues to hurt me? So the author of this story goes on to point out some ideas that helped her to forgive in this situation. First, remember that God loved her offender as much as God loved her. Next, that it takes the power of God to help us forgive. And it helps to remember that forgiveness doesn't mean that the hurting stops. So finally, the author offers this prayer, and I think it is really good to close with it. Lord, I come before you now with my heart open. I come surrendered at your feet, laying down my hurt and the pain I've been carrying for so long. I ask that you would help me forgive the person who hurt me. Lord, it's hard because they have expressed no remorse for what they've done. But Lord, as you forgave me when I was unworthy, help me to forgive those who don't deserve it. Change my heart toward this person, Lord. Free me from anger and bitterness. Help me to let them out of my heart. Heal me, Lord. Amen. A different anonymous wraps us up. I'm Catholic, but I'm also bisexual. I understand the church's teaching on sexuality, and I believe them. But I'm not out to my parents because I know that they'll react negatively. I found it very hard to navigate my relationship with my parents because I know that if they know this about me, they would think of me differently. Do you have any advice on how to navigate our relationship going forward? Let's all stop what we're doing, please, and join in prayer together for Anonymous and everyone having to hold back a part of who they are in order to keep the peace in a relationship. It can be so hard. It isn't fair. And we ask that God may bring peace into the hearts and understanding into the hearts of those around them this very day. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. First, I just want to acknowledge how hard this must be and really underscore how much we're praying for you. Not being able to be our true and authentic selves around those we love can really wear us down, you know, and leave us feeling pretty awful about ourselves and our relationship. I also just want to point out the strength of your faith, that you've explored the church's teaching and accept it. I mean, I just find that to be such an incredible witness. You really give me something to strive for, and I, I wanted to point that out because you deserve to hear that your faith is inspiring, and, and take a moment to pat yourself on the back, you know? The thing about being a therapist in a situation like this is acknowledging that 
You know yourself and your parents better than anyone else. You're the expert on this situation. So instead of me saying something like, you've got to be honest with your family in terms of who you are, or you should keep yourself safe by keeping everything to yourself to keep your relationship stable, I want to say that you are the one who can reflect on what's best given what you know about the relationship, about your parents, about how they will respond, and about how long you can continue to go on without opening up to them. You have to weigh the pros and cons, weigh the timing, and make the choice that you can feel confident is the right one in the right moment. And remember this, you know, reaching out for therapy to help with this situation is a great idea. Someone who can get to know you, get to know the dynamics of your family uh, without being like emotionally embroiled in it, right? Get to know the risks and benefits of going in a certain direction. Not someone who will tell you what to do and when to do it, but someone who will be there to explore everything with you to help you feel confident in coming to the right choice. When the stressors from our relationships start bothering us during the day, like negative thoughts about the situation that we can't seem to satisfy or turn off, it might be the right time to explore getting started in therapy for that extra bit of support. And again, just remember that we're praying for you and and thank you for your inspiration. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations. If you'd like me to address them in a future episode, I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna. (laughs) 